You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you have a copy of God's Word, I, wanna, I wanted to invite you to open it up to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, you can take that Black Pew Bible right in front of you, turn it to page 1016, and you'll be able to follow along with us as we work through verses uh, 1 through 6 of 1 Peter chapter 4 today. So as you guys are getting there, how many of you guys are excited about the possible snow that could be coming today into tomorrow? Yeah, good, good. I heard we could get like a dusting to like two feet, and so somewhere in between there is probably right. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more, like I personally, I love snow. I love it so much. But I grew up in an area that didn't get a whole lot. Uh, my wife and I are not from uh, NEPA. I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and my wife grew up about an hour south of Buffalo. And so our snow history is very different. Um, New Jersey, you get like three inches. The schools could be shut down for multiple days. No joke. Like, it is insane. Um, up, up, in, uh, up in Buffalo, they get two feet of snow, and they still have school. And they act like, like nothing ever happened. Um, Part of the way that, that I prepared for snowstorms in Jersey, I would normally have an, an, an ice scraper and a snow brush in my car, and that's it. And that was typically fine. Um, as I was dating Mel and getting to know her and her family, I recognized that like, she had like, this whole like, winter survival kit in her car at all times. Like from like, October until like, June, they had these things in their car. It was boots, shovels, blankets, uh, flare guns, rations for food. This thing that you put, that you plug into like your, your cigarette lighter that boils water, the whole nine yards. Like every time you leave your house during, like, during, during the, the winter months, like it's like survival mode. And so I remember one time I was driving up t- to her house. I was going to surprise her. Uh, we, we were just dating at the time. And I was driving in like December or January. And I got, you know, pretty close to her house. And I, didn't, I, I hit some ice, did, did like a 360, ended up in a ditch. So I called, I called her. I was like, listen, I'm trying to surprise you, uh, but I'm stuck. Can you please come get me? And while, while her and her dad were coming to come get me, a couple guys stopped and asked if I was okay. And they're asking me, like, you know, well, do, do you have a shovel? I said, no. Do you have boots? No. I was wearing sneakers. I don't even think I was wearing pants. Like, I think it just had, like, shorts on. Like, I'm so used to this is This is New Jersey kind of weather. You know what it is? But thankfully, they came, and you know, if those guys didn't show up, I probably would still would be stuck in, in, in that ditch even today. But I learned a very important lesson that day, and the more that I got to know Mel and her family, I learned a lot more. But the, that important lesson is this, is that how you prepare impacts how you perform. How you prepare for something impacts how you're actually going to perform in a certain situation. And as Peter has been writing this letter, He's writing to Christians who are beginning to feel persecuted. I'm not sure if it was at the point where they were dying for their faith, but they were for sure feeling isolated. They were feeling like outsiders. They did not hold the same kind of values and standards that the rest of their culture held, and they were beginning to feel the pressure of that. And so Peter writes this letter to encourage them to continue on in their faith. And he gets to, the, to this portion in 1 Peter 4, and he, he wants them to begin to realize something. He wants them to begin to prepare for what was coming. Because Peter knew, I think God, God gave him um, knowledge that, listen, things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. 
And as we just as we exist in our culture who is that is walking farther and farther away from God, this portion of scripture today is going to give us some really excellent advice on how to prepare for, for, the, for the suffering that is going to come. So I just want to invite you to take these verses and just take them with an open heart and open mind. And let's see what God has to say for us, say to us here this morning. So if you're, if you're opened up to 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm just going to begin by, by reading verse 1. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now here in verse 1, verse 1 is like the key to this entire passage here. And I want to take some time kind of breaking down what exactly Peter is telling his readers in, in this first verse. And the first phrase I want to focus on is this phrase, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. So all of you, all of you Bible scholars out there, whenever you see the word therefore, what are you supposed to do? Ask what it's there for, right? Okay, good. Yeah, you're, it's, it's calling us, whenever you see that word, you want to go back and see what exactly the author is kind of building on. His, oftentimes, authors will, will bring out some kind of truth and then say, because of this truth, this is what I want you to do. And so Peter is doing that here. And so we, if we go back to the portion that Pastor Mike preached a few weeks ago, 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 22, um, it's going to give us an answer on what exactly we, we, we should be looking for. And I'm not going to walk through the whole thing with you today, but I want you to pick up these two things. The first one is Jesus. If Jesus suffered, we should expect to suffer. See, some people think that as believers, once we get saved, our life is going to be completely um, just, um, you know, uh, completely easy and, and full of comfort. But Jesus said it very clearly here. Listen, if I suffered, you should also expect to suffer. Matthew 10, 24 says, A disciple is not above his teacher or a servant his master. If the world hated me, it's going to hate you also. And John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Listen, if Jesus, our Savior, our, our, our Master, suffered in this world, we should expect the very same thing. Then the second thing that Peter brings out here within, within the, this portion is that, listen, Jesus' sufferings led to future victory. Jesus' sufferings led to future victory. You see this at the end of this portion here, John, uh, 1 Peter 3.22. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. You, you look at Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about Jesus as when he was obedient to, to the point of death, even death on the cross, what, what did God do? It says that God has now given him a name that is highly exalted above every other name, and that every knee, at, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's because Jesus' obedience to the Father and, and going to the cross and dying on the cross in our place for our sins, God is going to reward him for his obedience. And so if Jesus was also rewarded for his obedience, we can expect God to do the same thing. And so because of that, because of, of Jesus' example in his suffering, and because of God's promise that he's going to re reward those who suffer for him, we come to verse 1. 
It says, therefore, since Jesus suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. See, the key to this entire portion is found in this one imperative here that says, arm yourselves. It's the only command in, in these six verses. Now, arm, arm yourselves, that, that idea comes from a military idea of, of preparing for battle, to be equipped for a task. And so what Peter is saying here is that you need to put on the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus Christ had. But why? Why is arming ourselves so important? What, what is so important about that? And, and it's answered in this last part of verse 1, where it says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now listen, this, is a, this can be a really, really just kind of hard verse to interpret and, and understand. So before I kind of explain what I think it means, I want to tell you what it doesn't mean. Some people think that this verse means that those who suffer for the Lord are freed from sin. That they actually suffer to a point where they're actually sinless. We see this in other, in other works-based belief systems where if I suffer enough, if I obey God enough, if I give up enough, my sin nature, the sins that we all struggle with, are going to go away. Church, that does not go, that does not follow what the rest of Scripture say, is saying, though. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20, this is after he had been beaten. This is after he had been stoned for the gospel, imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. He writes in Romans 7 that he does the things that he doesn't want to do and the things that he wants to do, he is not doing. It's his inward struggle against sin. So just because you suffer for, for the Lord's sake doesn't mean that your sin nature is going to go away. It also doesn't mean that suffering is going to uh, guarantee to purify your hearts. You know that phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? I think Mandisa had a song about it. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, whatever. Mandisa, you're, you're right half the time. But what doesn't kill you can also make you bitter. You have a choice. Um, you, you just see in Scripture, Job's wife, right, after all that Job went through, after his family, you know, his children uh, be, being killed, his possessions being, being stolen, all of that, what, what is Job's wife's response? To just curse God and die. Does it sound like her heart has been purified? No. Just because we suffer for the Lord doesn't mean that we will cease from sin or that our hearts will be purified through it. It can and I've seen it happen where suffering can change our hearts, can bring us closer to God, but it's not always guaranteed. You see, what, what I think this phrase, cease from sin, means is that I believe that to cease from sin is to make a clear decision to break from sin. It is a decision to choose to obey Christ over the world, even if that means experiencing suffering. It is this active choice that we make that's saying, I choose to follow God over, over this world. I choose to obey the Lord even if that means suffering. That word cease from sin, it's, it's a verb in, in the perfect tense. And in Greek, what that means is that it is one action, is a definite action, a moment in time that has, that has effects in our future. 
It is coming to the point in each of our lives where we just, we put it all on the table and, we're, and, and, and we say, I choose from this moment on to, choose, to obey the Lord no matter what. No matter what may come, no matter what I may suffer, no matter what things I may have to give up, I choose to follow God no matter what. And from that moment forward, not saying that we're always going to get it right, not saying that we're not going to struggle, not saying that we're not going to have to go through some things, but that, that choice can have an impact on every single day from that moment forward. And all Peter is saying is, is that, listen, if people suffer for the Lord's sake, for righteousness, as Pastor Mike talked about a few weeks ago, if we suffer for the Lord's sake, all of us have made that conscious choice at some point in our life that we're going to follow God above all else. It is this active choice. It's something that we do, a mindset that we have. And verse, what, what verse 1 tells us simply is this. This is the thing I want you to hold on to today. Is that our battle does not begin with what we do. It begins with how we think. Our battle against this culture, our, our, the war against, against Satan, the war against people who are going farther and farther away from God, doesn't begin with how we act, how we behave. It begins with how we think. You know, the great Jack Nicholas, one of the greatest golfers to ever play the game, had this phrase that golf is 90% mental and 10% physical. Now, I hate golf. I'm terrible at it. But I get it. He, what, what he was saying is that, listen, winning a golf tournament isn't all about what happens on the course. It's all what happens between your ears. It's how you think. And he used to love playing in these really terrible conditions, rain, wind, the whole nine yards, because he knew at that point half of his competition had already given up. He said, it's not going to be my day. I'm not going to play well. Mentally, they'd already lost the game. And th this is actually something that, that, that is true in Scripture, too. Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, for those of you who walked through the Chip Ingram study that, that we did in the fall, he, Chip Ingram really hunkered down on this verse. because He says, listen, it starts with how you think. It starts with, with the mindset, the attitude that you have. And Peter knew this to be true. And so over the next, uh, with the time we have left, we're going to walk through verses 2 through 6, and Peter is going to bring out two, um, two point of views, two attitudes that we must have now, that we must prepare to hold in our hearts and our minds now before the suffering happens. And if we do that, if we prepare well, it will impact how we perform when that suffering comes. As we, as we get, get into this, you guys with me? You guys want to have a couple things that you can put within your arsenal to help defend you against suffering when it happens. You guys ready? All right. So guys, the first thing that Peter brings out, the first thing that you must resolve within your heart, within your mind, is that I will pursue God's will above worldly passions. 
you make that conscious decision. I will pursue God's will above worldly passions. Read, read with me, beginning at verse 2. We're going to read verse 2 and 3. It says, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Peter here lays out the first thing we must do if we're going to suffer well. It is to decide to live the rest of our lives for the Lord and not ourselves. It literally asks the questions, for as long as I live, who am I going to live for? For as many days that I have left, who am I going to live for? Those who suffer well have chosen to put God's desires, God's ways, and God's word above their own. It means I'm not going to do my own thing. It means that I'm, going to fo- I'm not going to follow my own wisdom. It means that I'm not going to live like the world. And I love what he says in verse, in verse 3, where it says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. He says, listen, haven't you lived long enough in sin? Haven't you, haven't you stayed in this place long enough? It's time to come out. Now that my kids are homeschooled this year because of everything with, with, with COVID, um, we kind of run like the same schedule. Um, by the time that I'm getting ready to, to shower and get ready to go to, to, to the office, um, oftentimes my kids are trying to get ready for, for the day as well. And my girls, especially McKenna, is super sneaky. So like if I'm like, I'll get dressed in the bathroom, I, I come out for a second, and if I'm, not, if I'm not watching, Kenna will sneak in, go to the bathroom, and, and lock the, the door behind her. And I'm like, listen, I'm just in there. I'm still, I'm still in there. I still need to get in there. And I remember, like, I don't have teenage girls or teenagers yet, but even as, like, my girls are seven, seven years old, it's like, listen, are you done in there yet? Have you spent enough time in there? I still got to get in. That, that's the kind of idea that, that, Peter is, that Peter's bringing here. Haven't you spent enough time doing the things that the Gentiles have already done? It's time, it's time to get out. It's time to, to leave. And listen, I'm not going to break down every single one of, one of these vices that he lists here in, in, in verse, verse, verse 3. But you guys get it. You guys get what those things mean and, and what goes along with them. And I just want to bring up two points. Is that one, that things have not changed much, much in 2,000 years. You, you look down that list. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Things haven't changed much. And oftentimes we think, oh, I wish I could just be in, in the, the, the good old days. This is the good old days. This has always happened. This is, people have always struggled with sin. People have always decided to give in to their own desires instead of following after the Lord and, and being under his lordship and his authority. But there is a common theme that I want you to pick up with throughout all of these sins. And they all stem back from a lack of self-control where a person will give themselves completely over to their passions and desires. There is, no, there is no being tempered here. They're going all or nothing. They're going all in. This is what is going to control me. I want you to picture with me a staircase. And at the top of that staircase is a throne. And that staircase and that throne is a picture of, of your heart. 
And on that throne, if you are a follower of Jesus today, that throne, Jesus Christ, should be the only one sitting upon that throne. He should be the Lord of your life. But so often we take these sins, these vices, these desires, and we allow them to creep up that staircase to the point where they sit on a place where only Jesus Christ should be sitting. And we allow them to rule our lives and govern what we do and, and, and control how we spend our money, the time that we spend, the, the focus and attention that, 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 we, that we give our lives to. And they become the idols of our hearts. And Peter is saying here, you have spent enough time allowing other things besides the Lord to rule and reign within your hearts. And it's time to come out of there. And those sins that, have, that are ruling and reigning within our hearts need to be addressed. And they first need to be addressed, the first way that they need to be addressed is that, that they need to, to be addressed shortly. And what, what I mean by that is that it should not be something that we say, yeah, I understand they need to be addressed, but not right now. I'm going to do that later. I'm going to do that when I'm older. I'm going to do that when I have more time. I'm going to do that when I feel like I've, I've had enough. Church, if we have that mindset, we will never allow, we, we will never do what it takes to take care of that sin. It needs to be addressed today. And the second way that it needs to be addressed, it needs to be addressed sharply. Guys, cutting sin out and taking sin out of our lives is going to involve pain. Because those things have ruled and reigned in your hearts. You, you've grown to, to love them. You've grown to, they've grown to, they've entangled themselves in, into your very being. So when you try to take those things away and put them in their proper place, not ruling, not ruling your heart anymore, it, it will involve pain. But just like any, any person going into surgery knows, that person, uh, that person approaching you with a knife is doing it for your good, is cutting out something that is harmful for you. And then Peter is saying, listen, like it's, you spent enough time living this way. You need to resolve in your heart that I'm going to pursue God and God's will above everything else. And all of us simply just have to ask the question, which would I rather have? Would I rather have my sin or would I rather have my Savior? And we all have to make that conscious choice on how we are going to proceed. Which is the second thing that, that Peter calls us to do. Before I even get there, I don't want you to, I don't want you to, to leave, to be thinking in your seats right now that, man, that sounds really, really hard to do just that. I want, to, I want you to remind, her, remind you of one verse before, before we move on, and that's, that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's one that you've heard, but it's one filled with so much hope. It says, no temptation has, taken, has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not the only one going through this. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. God is not going to, be temp God is not going to tempt you beyond your ability, beyond what you can handle. But he will also provide the way of escape. So you may be sitting here today thinking, I have these things that are ruling my heart. How do I, how do I even fix this? 
It starts by actually believing in this verse and moving on and asking the Lord to help you provide a way out of that and, and being surrounded by community that, that will help you through those things and gaining victory in those areas of your life. That's why things like uh, the, the Celebrate Recovery group we have here is so vital and important because it's a community who is focused on the gospel and the truths of God's word and actually bringing victory into your life over these things. The second thing that we always need to remember as we enter into times of suffering is this, is that I will let God, not the world, have the final word, have the final say. Read with me verses 4 through 6. It says, for with respect to to this, they are surprised when you you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, They, they slander you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. See, church, Peter here is describing what is going to happen when you begin walking away and taking those sins out of your life that these unbelievers, these people that, that participate in those sins that you, once, that you once lived in are going to take notice. And at first, it says they're, they're going to be surprised. They can't believe that you're, not doing, that, you're, that you're not doing those things that you used to do. They can't believe that, that you're actually changing your life. Uh, they can't believe that, that you actually believe this nonsense about the Bible. They can't believe that your values are beginning to shift and change. But that surprise will then turn into hate. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21 says that people hate, people hate, hate the light because they're lovers of darkness. And when someone whose life is beginning to change is still around people who are living in darkness, they're going to take notice, and that, that notice is going, to, is going to turn to hate, and that hate is going to turn into slander. It says here that, that they malign you. That, that, that they begin of saying abusive things with their words and sometimes with, with their actions. And every time that, that, I, that I have experienced this, I feel like unbelievers will try to attack one of three things, or maybe all of them, but definitely these three. First thing that, they, that they're going to try to attack is they, they attack your testimony. They're going to begin saying things like, there is no way you are that good. You must be hiding something. There's no way that you actually lived this way. They, they may begin to, to start rumors about you saying that, you know, I, I heard so-and-so I really did this. For things within our workplaces and our families and even our neighborhoods begin popping up. People with, within your neighborhood may know that you are believers and they start you know, talking amongst themselves, saying, man, those people are really, really weird. you, you, you got to watch out for them. It's people on, on the news saying that people with conservative values are detrimental to society. This is all a part of that. They will attack your testimony. And secondly, they, they will attack your king. And if, if they can't attack your testimony, they're going to attack the one that we serve, the one that we follow. They, they may begin talking about um, God's word and calling it, you know, old and ancient and, and doesn't work anymore, whatever that may be. 
They may make fun of his standards, but I love what Peter says in verse 5. He says, listen, your God, our God, is ready to judge both the living and the dead. Even though they don't recognize his authority, doesn't mean that his authority doesn't exist. And lastly, they're going to attack your hope. The world had already begun to doubt Christianity, even at this time. Because followers of Jesus had given their lives over to him, have suffered in the flesh, and had died. And those doubters would point to that fact. Listen, you've given your entire life over to the Lord. You've given up all of these things, but yet you still die like, like, like we do, who don't follow after Jesus. So if God is so good, if God is so loving, why, why, why are your lives ending the same ways that ours do? And if that's the case, why don't you just try to live for everything that you can now and worry about eternity later? They're trying to undermine the hope that we have as believers. The hope that the moment that we close our eyes here, we are present with the Lord in heaven. The hope that this is not, this life is not all that there is. The hope that we, that we have another home. And I just want to encourage you that when you are tempted to give into and allow the world to influence your thinking, do not let them resolve to allow God to have the final word. And the world may say, you don't belong here. Your values and beliefs are harmful to society. But God's word said, this world is not your home. The world may say, God doesn't love you. Why, why, would you let, why would he let you suffer and die just like everyone else? God's word says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And even through death, the Lord is with us. And the moment we take our last breath, we will be in the presence of the Lord. The world may say, God has forgotten all about you. And God's word says that he will judge both the living and the dead. Every tear that we've shed will be wiped away. Every slander and hurt will be judged. And every wrong will be made right. The church says, we just finish up today. And I just invite the praise team forward to, to close us in a time of, of singing. I just want to remind you of this very truth. Again, the battle does not begin with what we do. It begins with what we think. So as, as they come up, I just want to read a few scriptures to you again and pray them over for you um, as we finish up our time in 1 Peter today. The ones that we've already mentioned, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days, so that we may have a heart of wisdom. And God, as I just think over this portion, and I think over our, our church family, whether it's here or listening online today, God, we are being bombarded in a society, God, that, that is moving farther and farther away from you. And God, we may, we may be thinking about what are ways that we can mobilize, what are things that we can do to push back against that, Father, but God, it's got to start with how we think, as we, as we saw today in 1 Peter. So God, I pray for, for, our, 
for our dear friends and family this morning. God, some of them who are struggling with sin this morning, who whatever sin that may be is ruling their hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that they would just resolve, Lord, that they would follow you above all else and that they would address that sin and that they would address it immediately and address it sharply, Father. God, I pray for those people, Lord, that are just struggling, Lord, with, with, with the world around them and how they're trying to speak into their hearts, God, and how discouraging that can be. God, I pray, Lord, that, that we would not let their voice have the final say, but that we would be dedicated, God, to your word and what your word says, Father, and find your promises to be true and hold on to them with all that we have today. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would renew our minds, that, you would, that we would be dedicated to your word, that we would be dedicated, God, to your people, and that we would be dedicated, Father God, to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. So, God, we love you, Lord, and we pray, God, that, that this renewal would start even today, Father. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.